Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I will confess that the Feast of the Ascension growing up in an evangelical context was not something that we ever really talked very much about or thought much about. I mean, yeah, Jesus ascended at the end of the Gospels, and it's a nice bookend to, to, the, to the story, but we never really meditated on the theological significance of the, of the event of the Ascension. And I think that maybe it's because Ascension happens so close to Easter, we went all out for Holy Week and for Eastertide, that I think it just becomes kind of another thing that we, we don't really spend a whole lot of time meditating on. Of course, the prayer book tells us differently. I mean, not only is there a Feast of the Ascension, which they included as a major feast day, but also in the canon of the Mass itself, there is a section where salvific events in the life and ministry of Christ are listed off as very important and being made present to us through the Mass. We, of course, talk about the death and the, and, and the burial of Jesus. We talk about his resurrection, and then it ends with his ascension. Of course, not everybody thinks so positively about the Ascension. You may remember the name John Shelby Spong of an Episcopal bishop of Newark, New Jersey, fairly infamous man who believed that we should have a new Reformation and that the, the, the center of that Reformation should be conforming the Christian faith to all of the nice things that we've discovered in modernity through science. And so he came out with a list of theses or points of reform Things like we can't believe that Jesus died for our sins because that's a primitive, backwards, pagan way of viewing God. We can't believe Jesus really resurrected because science tells us that people don't really raise from the dead. So maybe he rose in a spiritual sense. And his eighth point of reform is that the story of the ascension assumed a three-tiered universe and is therefore not capable of being translated into the concepts of a post-Copernican space age. So is the ascension merely a depiction that betrays a backward understanding of how the universe is structured? I don't think so. Of course, tonight we probably don't have time to go into all the intricacies of ancient cosmology, nor would you want me to do that, even if we did have time, I'm sure. But I do think it's important to ask ourselves, what was Jesus doing? Why the ascension? And I think there are a few reasons for that. In the Old Testament, there is a story in numbers of the Israelites camped out and snakes come into the camp and they start biting the people and they're poisonous. And so the people start dying and they're getting sick from the poison. And God tells Moses he has to construct this bronze serpent that he lifts up into the middle of the camp and the people look to the serpent on the staff and they are saved as a result. Interestingly, in Ephesians, Paul has a, has a, has a somewhat mysterious verse where he talks about Satan being the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air. And St. Athanasius, one of the early Christians, says this is why Jesus was crucified, why he didn't, wasn't beheaded, why he didn't die on a sickbed. He was crucified specifically to be lifted up into the air, which is the domain of Satan, thereby liberating that space. And so there's a sense in which When Jesus ascends, he's ascending back through conquered territory. You know, he's taking a tour of of this land that he's conquered. But there's also a sense in which he's encouraging us to look up because that's where our salvation is. It's like the Colic says, that we may thither ascend. And in doing that, in placing himself up, 
He's drawing all men to himself, which is exactly what he said he would do in the gospel of John. I draw all men to myself. So he's lifted up to draw us to him. But also we know that he goes to heaven where he intercedes for us. When we talk about him going to heaven, we talk about him entering into the temple. The author of Hebrews tells us it's the, it's the one not made with human hands. It's the heavenly altar. And he goes there and presents the sacrifice that he made to the father. And he receives merits for that because everyone who does something good gets a reward. Jesus has done the most good that you possibly could. He's won infinite merits. And instead of keeping them for himself, because what do you get the man that already has everything anyways? He asks the father to give them to us, those of us who are in him. So when we talk about Jesus interceding for us, it's not like when we say we're interceding for each other, or even when we ask the saints to intercede for us, it's, it's something much more involved. It's Jesus saying, father, take these merits that I have won that you've given me and give them to those who are in me. Hebrews 9.24 tells us Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so whenever we wonder, what is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for you, not in a sort of abstract or ethereal way, but in a very specific way. But the final thing that Jesus does in ascending is, He ascends so that he can send us the Holy Ghost. During the creed, which we just professed, we set apart, along with our Roman Catholic friends, we say it, that the Eastern Orthodox do not say, which is that the Holy Spirit proceedeth from the Father and the Son. The Orthodox won't say that clause, which they call the filioque. Now, the reason that it's important for us to say that is, is not that the, the Holy Spirit is less than Jesus and the Father, but rather that in ascending, Jesus asks, this is one of the gifts he gives us. He asks the Father to send us the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, St. Paul tells us, it said he ascended, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in John, he tells us about this gift of the Holy Ghost that he's going to give us. In chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And so the Son ascends so that the Spirit can come down. And of course, it's the Spirit that binds us together. It's the Spirit that bestows the spiritual gifts on us, the church, something we'll talk about here in a few weeks. But it's necessary for our life together. And so why does all this matter? Why does all this matter to us? I think there are a few things we can think about as we wrap up this evening. The first is that the ascension means that we can trust in Christ. Ephesians 1.20 says, God has made him to sit at the right hand in the heavenly places. Just like Easter vindicated all the claims that Jesus made, the ascension further seals all of those claims. It means that it's true, right? The apostles were there. They saw it happen. But also it means that Jesus lets us ascend in him. I mean, this is the beautiful thing about Holy Communion. It's exactly why in the chapel, or I mean, in the the upstairs church, there's blue over the sanctuary. Because it's not just that he comes to us in communion. There is the sense in which he does. His sacrifice is made present for us. But there's a sense in which he's taking us up. 
So we're already participating in that ascension every time we go to the altar. And it's why we say it's not just us, uh, what, seven of us here, but rather it's with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven when we receive communion. And finally, because Jesus has ascended and because he sent us the Holy Ghost, it means that we can live in that Holy Spirit power through the grace that he's constantly giving us, those spiritual gifts that we've been given, preaching, teaching, evangelism, service, encouragement. And so as the church, we get to, we get to reap those rewards. Those merits are given to us all because of the ascension. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.